although Colombia is changing a lot and is much more welcoming for international people, there was no such a diversity. So as, as you walk around Melbourne or any suburb around, you find all these states from all these uh, cuisines around the world, and it was amazing. Nicholas Ojeda Amado is a baker at Casanata, which makes amazing Portuguese tarts in Melbourne. He moved from Colombia in 2018 as an international student and he has really diverse experience working with everything from migration agencies and now in multicultural communications. Nicholas, I'm so excited to have you on Dirty Linen. Welcome to the show. Hola Dani, thank you so much for having me. I have to quote you, first of all, when we were emailing back and forth about this chat, you said something to me which really struck me. You said, I love food, but I'm a bit of an outsider. I studied literature, philosophy and education, but I always believe when we read, we eat ideas. (laughs) Yes, well, that's that's actually what I believe on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Well, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, what brought you from Colombia to Australia? Uh, well, what could I say from, from my side, I, I grew up in the capital city of Colombia, which is a nice but very beautiful and cold city, uh, which sometimes surprised people because South America could be also very cold. Um, I study, as you just said, philosophy, literature and education. And when I was working in a bookstore in Colombia, where we were sort of meeting with food and books and vinyls, I, I just really, really wanted to, to learn something new and have the beautiful opportunity to travel to Australia to, to study English. And here I am. <laughs> Amazing. And you're, you're baking Portuguese tarts. Tell us about your work at Casanata. Well, at Casanata, it happens right few months after they open, I, of course, we all know what happened with the pandemic. Australia completely closed and I was working with a migration agency. And well, because migration was not available, I thought what I'm going to do now. And I just talked with the with my old employer and I said, I guess I'm going to follow a little bit of my passion right now. And I messaged the guys on Instagram and he said, I love your tarts and although I'm not a baker, I I want to learn. And they open the doors and since then I'm the baker with them. <laughs> That's so interesting. What uh, tell us about Casanata as a business and about the tarts that you make. What makes them so good? What lured you in? Uh, well, uh, Casanata was uh, is owned by Nelson Coutinho and Ruben Bertolo. These Two very beautiful guys that they also are tithers, so there are no cookers or pastry uh, chef as a profession, but they just really, really love food. And they thought, why not to bring the best Portuguese tarts to Melbourne? So they did the research in Lisbon and Portugal, trying to test every single pastel di nata in that country. And with the research, they come back to Australia with uh, local produce and they start creating those starts. And they actually start creating those starts and selling them at the Victoria market. And they became popular. The pandemic happened, but they thought, why not to open a shop? And they opened this shop in Thunbury in 2020. Um, and they face 
as many other businesses, multiple lockdowns, but they keep on going. People were supporting them and because everything was made on scratch, uh, supporting uh, very local producers, people people really, really fell in love with this, with this idea. Yeah, I mean, pastel de nata, these Portuguese custard tarts, they are such a perfect food, you know, with this really beautiful flaky pastry, the jiggly custard, just a little bit caramelised on top. They're just, um, I think, I mean, I can understand that it would go well through lockdown when we, everybody needed that little bit of extra comfort at times, a bit of sweetness in our lives. Um, yeah, what do you love about making them? Well, is I guess... Well, the other day, actually, someone asked me what is my favorite part of of baking, and I did a joke and I said, "Well, my favorite part of baking is the eating." <laughs> and I, I just at, at first, I just love the the balance, which is savory and sweet. But then, when I start learning how to bake them, um, it's quite interesting. For example, it takes uh, around four to five days to make just one one tart because uh, of the process of uh, the hydration of the, of the flour, the lamination, and everything needs uh, to rest before you will be able to bake it. And you will bake it for 400 degrees top and bottom for seven minutes. And that process of patience and step by step was actually what I liked the most. Mm, that's really interesting. You love the process. Um, and so, Nicholas, it's not the only job that you have. Tell us about your other work. <laughs> well, currently I work for this um, agency named ThinkHQ. They do research and communications, and they currently lead in the transcreation process, which is creating multicultural communications for diverse background communities. And so different government agencies came with ideas to approach those communities that might know, understand English well, and how, how to do the communication so they will benefit for programs of activities or will they understand what is going on in Australia. As, as we know, we, we, we just learned that half of Australia came from either overseas, their parents were born overseas, um, or, or they are like myself, a migrant. <laughs> and this is important to recognize and value languages. So I work on that. And I guess in the spare time, I also volunteer for the Jara Council. They have this program uh, in the Jara libraries to support people uh, maybe with disabilities so they don't have access to laptops or computers and how we can just teach. Because I guess as I share uh, with you, one of my passions is teaching. <laughs> so I guess everything is just well connected because if you can share something nice and sweet, like a Portuguese tart or like information to help someone, why not to do it? <laughs> That's so beautiful. And at um, Think HQ, what are some of the streams of communication? Like what sort of topics have you been, what are some of the projects that you've been helping people with, with communication? Well, one of the biggest projects we just had uh, was uh, racism, it stopped with me, which is uh, this uh, big campaign, the national campaign anti-racism from the Australian Human Rights Commission that is sort of trying to increase awareness and teach Australians how to stop racism uh, because it happens, it could happen everywhere, but it could really stop 
with the individual actions. Um, the other campaign uh, we just worked on was creating um, this chatbot, the first multilingual chatbot in Victoria with different languages that can provide information in the language of the community. And it's as easy as to go on WhatsApp and say, hi, I need information about my restaurant, for example. How how can I get support if, if my staff uh, got COVID or what happened with the with the current restrictions or what happened if I need support with housing? And this is the type of um, type of uh, marketing and ideas that the ThinkHQ team is working on. Wow, that's so cool. So like a Victorian government website, for example, you could have a multilingual chatbot that's helping you find the information that you need. Yes. Oh, for example, with WorkSafe or, for example, the other one that I'm working in supporting of the voice talent or, or translations is for the pooling transport. How to uh, bring people together to use and be proud of the public transport in Melbourne and how this is part of the culture. Oh, that's so interesting. So to be proud of public transport. And be proud of what we have here, which is, I think, what I love of, of Melbourne. Be, you, you could feel welcome no matter where you came from. But it's still important to work on how you could be safe <laughs> uh, if we are so diverse. Mm, that's so interesting. So you, as, you, as you've said already, you know, you do bring together so many different strands of activity, I guess, under similar values. It's really, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I would love to talk to you about hospitality as a safe and welcoming place for people from different cultures. I mean, we've spoken on this podcast in the past about racism that um, people have experienced or witnessed. Um, I think, you know, there's, there are elements of the Australia's immigration system, which um, are, you know, which act racist, even if that's not the intention, but there's sort of structural racism in, in some of the ways that, that our systems operate. I mean, what kinds of things do you see, feel, experience? Well, um, as, as, as you know, I, I work around two years for migration agencies and I felt I felt conflicted <laughs> because it's, it's well-structured and there is great opportunities to migrate to Australia and there is the pathway to do it. Um, there are ways in where you can uh, create a career in hospitality or being chef or pastry chef and the opportunities are huge, much more than any other country. But it's, it's bittersweet because um, sometimes is the, the, the restrictions are, or the, the requirements are not clear enough. There are no straightforward communication with the applicants. And then there is sort of idea in where students came, try to study as much as they can, but then there is no solution or clear pathways to stay. Um, all states just close the programs and after students have studied for four years and then they don't have any options because the state don't want them anymore and that's what happened during the pandemic which is i guess a little bit of sweet <laughs> yeah i mean it was a terrible terrible outcome 
in the pandemic for yeah for people who are here on visas yeah just a terrible situation but I mean what do you think uh I mean it's still a very confusing system there are still so many like thousands of people in limbo there's almost a million visas I think that are yet to be processed by um by the department I mean what do you see could be some of the ways of simplifying or creating more a, a system that welcomes people more I guess I guess there are very ways to to tackle this issue um, one of those is to provide business with clarity um, there are although their information is on the website if a local cafe wants to uh, find more people, um, work as a chef or uh, baristas or anyone who will help you with the with the restaurant. There is no clear ways on how they can sponsor someone, and they will need to go for the, the true process. But they need the worker now, uh, and the sponsorship could take two years. So then, what you do? <laughs> um, and having the connection and the information with the business could be a very good uh, start point. But then you have all the other students that they really, they don't know how to do it. And having, for example, in language um, information will be very useful. Like if you, if you came to Australia, not English, <laughs> and if you go to the department and you find information in your language that tell you what do you need to do and the steps you need to follow, that will be also fantastic. And because they will delete that barrier of language. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, even as a native English speaker, the um, if you're trying to find out information about about visas, it's very complicated and it's very hard to work out which way to turn. I feel like there needs to be almost like yeah, concierges for people, for businesses, and for um, people who are looking to navigate that system of visas and immigration. I know that um, Melbourne City Council did a little bit of work with that during the pandemic, where they did offer a sort of concierge service for for um, for people on visas. But yeah, I'm, I feel like it needs to be a much more comprehensive program that helps people navigate this labyrinth of um, yeah, of regulations. Yes, and Study Melbourne uh, is also a great organization that provides information, but still there is there is something missing. And I guess because of the work I do with ThinkHQ, providing information in the language could be, and it is, very useful. Absolutely. And what about hospitality as a, you know, do you think hospitality is a safe space for people from all kinds of different cultures? I guess... It is. <laughs> I have always felt welcome at any of the restaurants I have worked before. Like I, I, I was very welcome at Pisami, a place in, in Ivanhoe that unfortunately closed because of, of the pandemic. I felt amazingly welcome at Very Good Falafel, this very tasty and incredible place in Brunswick. Um, but then what, what happens is, uh, what, as, as, as a as a migrant, the, the idea was um, how restaurant or the hospitality sector could be a safe workplace. And if it's safe, I think it is. I think it welcomes people. And I have been, I felt welcome every single time. But I was in my first experience in Ivanhoe, uh, in, uh, in Pisami, 
a restaurant that unfortunately closed because of the pandemic or with very good falafel, this amazing, very tasty place in Brunswick. Um, but, but, then it, but then it's because, well, I think the hospitality sector is well prepared and is always open for people with diverse backgrounds. And is the place, or it was the place for me, where I really learned English, <laughs> where I uh, met new people. And I think what it could be is hospitality and restaurants could teach other industries how they can welcome people, how they can treat um, well people from uh, different backgrounds. Because it's a different story in all the different industries where uh, you must have specific English or an accent uh, and you must have different things in at restaurants, and it's something that it, it surprised me a lot, is that you will find in a restaurant in Melbourne people that are not just came from different countries, but the lawyers, the engineers, the designers, the artists that came from different countries. And that sort of makes, makes, uh, makes the restaurants could be a, a, a safe place to work. Mm. It's really interesting. And it's, I love the way you talk about it as, you know, that hospitality has a lot to teach other industries and that people can be proud of it. It's, um, it, yeah, it makes me think about what you were saying before about, you know, um, giving uh, immigrants tools to be proud of their city. I mean, it's, um, it's really, I don't know, there's something about if you're proud, then there's also a sense of belonging, isn't there? If you've, you've got this, if you, it makes you feel anchored in something, if you can also express your pride in it. Yes, uh, that's, that's totally right. And yes, of course, there is uh, issues sometimes in terms of payment. And I think there should be a regulations instead of being casual or part-time. And there are issues in the industry that they need to be looked after um, in terms of payment. But on the other hand, <laughs> in terms of feeling safe and welcome because of the place you were born, uh, restaurants can teach a lot to other industries. So, Nicholas, tell us about Colombia. And, I mean, are you able to compare um, Bogota with Melbourne? You know, you've mentioned that it's a, a cold city. Um, but what about the food that you grew up eating or could eat in, in your home city compared to the, the food scene in Melbourne? Oh, my beautiful country. Uh, I don't know. Uh, have you have you ever been in South America before? Uh, only to Venezuela. Okay. Oh, but, well, we we were sort of part of the same ideas of tastes. Uh, Venezuela is an amazing country. And, and, I, and I grew up, well, with Colombian food, which I, people might be surprised, might, might. Colombian peeps will be surprised, but it's very simple. <laughs> uh, there are no much spices. Uh, is uh, the method is is quite plain uh, taste, I would say, although it's delicious. Um, but there is not as amazing as other uh, cuisines around the world. Um, but in terms of my city, my city is a city full of bakeries and cafes. Um, is the city that also welcomes other people from other cities around Colombia, a little bit like Melbourne, I will say. And and although there are bakeries everywhere, there is not a uh, oven culture in Colombia. 
see that perhaps you said, oh, my grandma used to bake a cake for me on my birthday. <laughs> That's such a thing never happened in Colombia. You will go to a bakery and you will ask for a cake <laughs> and you will have hundreds of options. But it's not like, oh, I bake some uh, biscuits for for this uh, for this activity at school. There is no such a thing. <laughs> Which is quite interesting if I were now thinking about it because now I'm working facing an oven every single time. <laughs> that's so, yeah, that's really funny. So basically the typical kitchen in Colombia wouldn't have an oven. No, it won't have an oven. Amazing. But be- bread is important. <laughs> so bread is important. And we also make, we have our own bread, which they call arepas. Ah, yes. Um, and arepas, we, we have like a hundred different types of arepas, which are made uh, corn based. And well, you you don't need an oven because they pan fry. So that's that, that will be our main main showcase. Like a pastel de nata in Lisbon, we have arepas in Colombia. <laughs> Beautiful. And so, what did it? How did Melbourne strike you when you moved here? In in terms of the the food that was on offer? Oh well, a, a, a lot. It was a huge surprise. I never tried a curry before in my life, um, and I. I never really taste that many cuisines at once uh, because uh, although Colombia is changing a lot and is much more welcoming for international people, the, um, there was no such a diversity. So as, as you walk around Melbourne or any suburb around, you find all these states from all these uh, cuisines around the world and it was amazing. <laughs> so I learned names of spices or vegetables for the first time in English. And when I tried to explain to my family in Colombia what I was eating before, I don't know how to say it in Spanish <laughs> because <laughs> my first taste was here. That's so interesting. Um, Nicholas, what about the future? What are your aspirations? Do you see your, your life unfolding for you here in Australia? Yes, um, I'm very lucky that I could call Australia home. So, so yes, I think Australia will be the place in where I'm going to continue learning and tasting and hopefully helping different people. And of course, I will definitely continue uh, and I would love to continue working with Casanata. And I don't know, maybe being, because I think that Casanata has the potential to become a place that you must go if you come to Melbourne. Like as huge as Loon, perhaps, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> and and study, as I said, and I share with you, I don't know if I if I should study pastry or if I should continue and do a master's degree in communication and literature, but I guess both both can be done together because I'm just trying to understand to taste all ideas that eventually will create something delicious, full of everything good in life. And I guess if I continue trying to find that understanding, I will be happy in the future. Wow, Nicholas. Well, I've loved chatting to you. You make the world seem very big and full of possibilities, but also pretty cosy and connected. Um, So I love your perspective on life. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Uh, Well, I guess I just want to thank you uh, for the great job you have done 
in the last couple of years. Um, I start following you because you provide clarity to international students uh, with regard of restrictions on opportunities, uh, also with businesses telling them uh, when the new program was open for sponsorship and showcasing that we all, although we come from different backgrounds, we all love food and food could be the place where we can all come together. So thank you so much for the space you have been created in the last couple of years. Um, well, thank you so much for saying that. I'm glad if it's made a little bit of a difference. And I definitely will take from our conversation that when we read, we eat ideas. And I feel like um, it just gives me another way to be hungry. So that's good too. <laughs> <laughs> and there will be always a little gap to, to trace and have a delicious Portuguese start. Definitely. Love it. Okay. Thanks so much, Nicholas. Great to chat. Thank you so much, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.